0: This is a question that it stirs up a lot of feelings and it stirs up a lot of questions within me. Um, thinking about my grandfather, about my friends, about everybody that I've known that has prayed for healing and hasn't gotten it. Um, and we're, we don't have time. This is this is a short service today. We won't be able to explore every single fear, every single doubt. Um, And if you're struggling with that, if there's something that we don't talk about today that you do have a question about, that you do want to wrestle with, come talk to me. Pull aside an elder and let's talk, let's sit in it, let's talk about it. But what I do want to talk about today, um, as we consider this question, is the shame that can come along with it. Because as we consider this question, I want to remind her that we need to be doing this and living in this as a community. Wrestling through these questions, through these conversations and, and confessions and prayer. We need to be walking through them together. But what I do hope is that when we're working together, that we also are working together and not alone in these questions of self-doubt and of shame. Because we're in a culture that has many prominent voices that declares the ease with which we should effectively receive these prayers of healing. If you just name it and claim it, you'll get it. So when God does say no, we can easily start to wonder if the problem is with me. Maybe my prayers aren't sufficient. Maybe I didn't say something correctly. Because if it's so easy for other people to to heal, and we hear of pastors that have call lines, you call them up on the phone and they'll say a prayer over the phone and they'll heal you. You just have to pay a little bit of money for it. (laughs) If it's so easy for them, why does God say no to my prayers? Is it because we don't pray enough? Is it because we don't pray faithfully enough? We don't have enough faith when we pray. I've heard that a lot. There's a million other questions like these I have, but these are two that keep coming up time and time again. Are you praying enough? Did you have enough faith when you prayed? And so as we seek answers to these questions, we turn to Jesus, who teaches us how to pray, who brings healing into this world, and who has proven that he deeply loves and cares for us. And so we turn to him for answers. So now, right before we dig in, I'd like like for you guys to to pray. Pray for his help, pray for his guidance as we dig 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 into this really hard topic, if you would. Dear Father, Lord, this is a painful subject. This is something that has touched each and every one of us. And Lord, Talk about the times when you say no to prayer. And so maybe there's a little bit of doubt that you're even going to say yes to this prayer. But even so, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to minister to us, to counsel with us, and to guide us through this. And in these times where we need to sit and to lament, to let us do so and help us. And Lord, give me your words as I sit up here and I, I talk, Lord. If there's anything that I say that is not from you, Lord, may it be corrected, may it be forgotten, and may we move on in your glorious way. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So to get into this first, that first big question that I, that I often hear, but does God say no because we don't pray enough? And as we ask this question, there's a number of passages that come to my mind. Maybe they come to yours that convict us of this. You think of Paul. Paul talks about how he prays without ceasing. And man, that seems physically impossible to do, and yet he still does it. And so in comparison, I think about myself and I think about all the different times when I'm not praying. I'm not praying without ceasing. Maybe that's why my prayers aren't answered. And Jesus told that story about a persistent widow um, who didn't stop bothering the judge until she got the answer that she wanted. And so maybe I just need to keep hammering away at God until finally... He says yes. Maybe his no is just temporary. He's just testing me, just wanting me to keep praying and praying and praying. But as you think about that, I invite you to look with me at Matthew 26. Turning to Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. And this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his crucifixion. Right before he's facing, and he knows he's facing incredible pain and torment and agony. And this is what he does. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to them, My soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for a second time, he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came forward and found them sleeping and for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, for see, my betrayer is at hand. Three times. Jesus came and he petitioned God time and time and time again. He said to God, take this cup from me. I do not want this. And God said, no. God said, no, even though like the persistent widow, Jesus came time and time again, even though like Paul, he was praying without ceasing. God said no. Even though he's God's own son and he has a closer relationship with him than we will ever understand and he prayed time and time and time again, God said no. He did not want to take away the pain and the suffering that was right in front of Jesus. But lest we think that that Jesus was the exception and and for some reason that um, God only said no because of, of Jesus' divine purpose... Let's go back into the time of Israel. Let's go back to uh, consider a story about King David, who was loved and who God said was dearly loved by him. Now, when David had a child, he had many children, but when one of his children became ill, he fasted and he prayed without ceasing for seven days, hoping that perhaps the Lord would be gracious and save his child even when his elders and his servants saw what he was doing and they came to him and they said, you must eat to, You must eat something for your own health. He refused because he was so grieved by his child's illness and was praying so desperately for his health to be restored. But at the end of seven days, God said no. And the child died. And when David heard the news, he got up, ate, and went and worshiped the Lord. Even with the great king's David's best efforts, God still said no. Now, I want to acknowledge the situation here in that the illness was called, caused by David's sin. We know that. Scripture tells us that. Um, and I'm not saying that all illness or all death is caused by something we've done or some sin of ours. But what I am saying and what I do want to pull out of this is that the repeated prayers of Israel's greatest king and of God's own son Jesus can be met with no. And if their most strenuous efforts may not be granted... Then we can be assured that God doesn't say no merely because we didn't pray enough. However, after God said no to both Jesus and to David, they both did something similar. They accepted God's answer and they went and worshipped him. Tim Keller relates and summarizes this very well in his book on prayer, and he has this in a quote: Finally, Where you do not get an answer or where the answer is not what you want, use prayer to enable you to rest in His will. And as counterintuitive as that seems, as as absolutely opposite as this seems like it should be, when we ask that question, why does God say no to our prayers for healing, we get back this answer that He says no in part to encourage prayer. He says no so that you'll pray more. And this is the world that we live in. We live in a world which is full of sickness and of pain and of death. And this is not the way that it's meant to be. Because though bad health is not necessarily the result of something specific that we've done, it is a result of sin coming into the world. We may and we absolutely should rejoice in the time when God chooses to heal, when he does relieve us of the painful effects of sin. But when he chooses to say no, Though we may be wondering why God would allow us to feel this pain that comes with sin, let it be a reminder that it is not what God wants for us. This is not what He has intended. Sin in a corrupt world was not the way He intended creation to go. And so when He says no, when we still have to bear it, we can recognize this isn't what God wants either. Because when God says no to our prayers of healing, let us acknowledge that God's will is being enacted. And even though we may never understand it, It encourages us to pray to the one who knows the pain that comes with that answer. And he does not give it lightly. But if God chooses when to say no, regardless of our effort, why does Jesus talk about needing faith? And that having faith as small as a mustard seed is is enough to move mountains. And if that small of faith is enough to move mountains, surely just a little bit of faith should be enough to bring healing. In essence, we still encounter this question of, does God say no because we didn't pray with enough faith? And when we ask this question, passages such as Matthew 21, 21 come up, where Jesus tells the disciples that if they have faith and they do not doubt, they can command a mountain to be thrown into the sea and it will happen. Or there's James 1, verses 6 and 7, among many others. And in that, James says, um, if we ask without doubt then our requests, or if we ask with doubt, rather, then our requests won't be answered. He's saying that you're, in that, he was saying their prayers aren't answered because they have doubt. And that just further seems to convict us that, man, maybe that prayer wasn't answered because I doubted God. And indeed, in these passages, it is enforcing, reinforcing that notion that we do have to have faith when we come in prayer for them to be answered. But remember back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There will never be anyone who has the same amount of faith as Jesus. And God still said no. And again, lest we make think that God was making an exception in this rule of faith for Jesus, consider Paul. Turning to Second to Corinthians twelve, verses seven through ten. Paul um, he relates to this scene of his life. He says, starting in verse seven. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he'd been given, a great thorn or a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that this should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the apostle that wrote a lot of the New Testament, who shows time and time again that his faith and his prayers and requests are often answered. And yet here he writes that he writes that He asked God to remove this thorn from his flesh three different times, and God said, "No, not a not yet, not a wait for a little bit, no i won 't remove it." And here again we see a man of God being told no, and what does he do afterward? He rejoices, he has this pain that he so desperately wants to be taken away, and he prays fervently about it and when yet when God says no, he rejoices. He praises the Lord for his weakness because christ 's power rests on him through it, and that seems so weird to be frank because what what we see through Paul and, and Jesus and through these other passages is that faith is incredibly important to prayer. But let me remind you, let us remember that faith isn't something that we generate in ourselves. It's not something that you can just follow a specific set of instructions or a specific set of steps and all of a sudden you have more faith. You can't go buy it. You can't dig it up in the soil. No, faith is the work of God inside of you. And it's the work of God bringing you to him. And so when we see Paul rejoicing when God says no, he's rejoicing because God is using his weakness and his weaknesses to build up his faith. And that is worth rejoicing in. Using his weakness to build up his reliance on Jesus Christ. And we see the answer to our second question, see the answer to this this accusation that maybe God didn't answer your prayer because you didn't have enough faith. Does God say no to prayers of healing because we don't have enough faith? No. No. He says no, in fact, to encourage and to build up our faith. So we've named a few passages that that exhort the need for faith when making a request to God. And there are many more with a similar message. And the importance of faith in God cannot be overstated, but it is frequently misapplied. If we are to say that prayers are not only are not answered only if we don't have enough faith, then as we've seen, we are ignoring all of the times in the Bible where people who are named as having great faith are met with no. For even if we have great faith, we still don't know what God has planned. The greater our faith, the more closely we can discern God's will, as we talked about last week. But even then, God may still say no. And in those times, we can rest in knowing that his will is accomplished. And through it, God desires to build our faith. Let's be real. I can, I, I'm standing up here. I'm a 27-year-old in great health. And it's easy for me to maybe say, come up here and say these things because I haven't had a close relative that's wasted away in cancer. I haven't had to sit forth in the long trials that cancer and chemotherapy bring forth. I haven't had to care for someone with Alzheimer's for a spouse or someone close to me with dementia and all the challenges and years of heartache that that brings. And I don't know the depths of pain that come from losing a child. I don't. But Jesus does. Jesus knows what that pain's like. Jesus knows what that pain is like to be have prayers for healing come back with a no. So let me close by reading a story from Philip Yancey's book. It's a, it's a book called Disappointment with God. And if that all, at all resonates with you, I encourage you to go read this book because it's excellent. But here's a, here's a, a passage from it. Philip relates the story of a friend named Douglas in the book. Douglas um, turned down a lucrative career in order to go do urban ministry and not have, earn a lot of money. But then his wife got breast cancer, and it spread to, his, to her lungs. And so Douglas had to do all the chores around the house while she was in chemo and battled with depression. And then one night, as Douglas was driving, he got hit by a drunk driver, and he was seriously injured. The injuries that he sustained left him with debilitating headaches and that struck him without warning, and it permanently affected his vision. One eye would constantly wander, and he developed double vision. He couldn't walk downstairs anymore without help. And the worst part, in his opinion, was that he couldn't read anymore. Something that was one of the great joys in his life was to be able to open up a book and read page by page, but now, because of his sight and the headaches and everything, he could barely read a page without... Being racked with pain, and so he was re- reduced to listening to audiobooks, which to him were a poor excuse. And so when Philip sat down with Douglas and asked him how he dealt with this disappointment, he had a very startling answer. Douglas said, To tell you the truth, I didn't feel any disappointment with God. The reason is this. I learned, first through my wife's illness, And then especially through the accident, not to confuse God with life. And he said, I'm no stoic. I'm as upset about what happened to me as anyone could possibly be. I feel free to curse the unfairness of life and to vent all my grief and vent all my anger. But I believe that God feels the same way about the accident as I do. Grieved and angry. I don't blame him for what happened. We tend to think that life should be fair because God is fair, but God is not life. And if I confuse God with the physical reality of life in a sinful and broken and corrupted world by expecting constant good health, for example, then I set myself up for crashing disappointment. God's existence, even his love for me, does not depend on my good health. Douglas said, frankly, I've had more time and opportunity to work on my relationship with God during my impairment than I ever had before. So Philip goes on to say, if we develop a relationship with God apart from our life circumstances, then we may be able to hang out when the physical reality breaks down. We can learn to trust God despite unfairness in life, which is kind of the main message of Job. Job. Later on, as Douglas is about to leave, he leans forward with this one final thought, and he said to Philip, I challenge you to go home and read again the story of Jesus. Was life fair for him? Because for me, the cross demolished for all time that basic assumption that life is fair. And with that, I think Douglas nailed it right on the head. In these times when we lament pain and sickness and death and destruction in life in this world, we cry out from that Psalm 42, Why are you cast down all my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? But we know there's an end. And so we continue in declaring to our souls, Hope in God. For I shall praise Him again. My salvation and my God. Amen. Amen. You pray with me. Dear Father, Father, we don't always know why you say no. In fact, it often seems like the last thing you should be saying. But we know that you've said no before. And we know that it is your plan that is in mind. So we offer you our trust, we offer you our hope. Don't leave us empty-handed. Help us in these times. Hear us in our lament. Don't let us be alone. In your name we pray.